0: And welcome to episode 64 of glitch report my name is nitwit thank you so much for stopping by saying hi kicking it with me today on the stream live over at twitch.tv nitwit if you're watching the youtube version of the show hey thank you for watching i was gonna say congratulations but uh hey thank you so much for watching and of course to my audio listeners thank you so much for putting me on your apple podcasts on your spotify wherever you get your podcasts, i have not decided to break up this podcast into 23 segments and post the entire thing to youtube like uh paramount did with mean girls uh the movie mean girls as of recent but maybe that is where uh this podcast would be best experienced in 23 you know 90 second segments i don't even think the math would add up uh To 23 plus it doesn't matter i'm not gonna do some math we're not here for math we're here for video games and uh boy do i have a whole whack load of video games to talk about today coming up on the show we're gonna give uh some more thoughts on cyberpunk 2077 i'm pretty close i feel like i'm getting really close to the ending of cyberpunk 2077 so we will talk about that there's a patch for it that hit um as of today I've not had a chance to see what that patch does, but it is supposed to fix some issues that your boy has had uh, with the game recently, including the Johnny Silverhand Vision uh, bug. Plus, I've been playing some Forza Motorsport. I've not played a ton of it because it came out 9 p.m. my time uh, last night. So I'm only like two-ish hours into Forza Motorsport. We're going to talk that. Um, Plus, we're going to do a review roundup for Assassin's Creed Mirage. Assassin's Creed Mirage out now. Um, We're going to cover that. Plus, some news as it relates to a PlayStation data breach. Some Cyberpunk 2077 uh, news. uh, Some Nintendo news. Some Activision and Blizzard news as well. But first, let's get into it talking about Assassin's Creed Mirage. So, you know, Assassin's Creed Mirage is presented and developed to be a, you know, return to the series roots. If you want to look at Assassin's Creed Mirage as a sequel to the first Assassin's Creed game, obviously there was Assassin's Creed 2 and that game, you know, also in line with what we see with Mirage. But Mirage is very much trying to be a boots on the ground Back to basic sort of presentation for the game, again, akin to something like Assassin's Creed 1, 2, uh, Brotherhood, uh, things like that. Gone are the days of your massive, sprawling open world with a zillion different quests and collectibles and, you know, content that would keep you engaged for 200, 300 hours. No. Assassin's Creed Mirage is trying to be a stealth focused, you know, action open world game um, without the scope and size of something like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Assassin's Creed Origins and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So if you want that, you know, Witcher esque you know, massive open world, you know, action RPG. This is not that this is still trying to be an action you know stealth game in an open world but to a much smaller degree so in that sense the biggest and best ideas that assassin's creed mirage has are old ones again like if you were in a fucking coma When Assassin's Creed 2 came out and you're just getting out of that coma now, you would say, yo, dog, they've been making these games for a long time. And in fairness, Assassin's Creed is a long running franchise. So in fairness, yo, dog, they've been making these games for a while. It's just that their, you know, big attempt to revitalize the franchise is to go back to the way things used to be. So I've not had a chance to play the game. Reviews for the game have hit. Um, Looking at uh, our good friends over at OpenCritic, currently sitting at a 77 out of 100 with a 73% uh, positive rating for the game. Uh, Again, for those watching on Twitch, I apologize. I don't know why the stream is so fucked, but it is. I don't know what to tell you. I have relaunched the stream in the hopes that uh, it continues to improve. Seems like turning the stream off and on fixed it. No, oh, no, it hasn't. We'll see. We'll monitor the stream situation as we go. But the point is Assassin's Creed Mirage 77 out of 100 on open critic with 73% um, positive review scores. Looking at some of the review scores, IGN uh, giving it an 8 out of 10 saying Assassin's Creed Mirage is uh, back to basics approach is a successful first attempt in returning to the stealthy style that launched the series. And then of course, uh, PC Gamer, 77 out of 100, saying, Assassin's Creed Mirage isn't the triumphant return to glory that I hoped it'd be, but it's a good first stab. Eurogamer, 4 out of 5, saying, Golden Age Baghdad, along with a return to a more focused, stealth-based design, makes for a rich and characterful adventure. Uh, games Radar plus uh giving it a four out of five saving saying uh, ubisoft bordeaux has delivered exactly what it promised Assassin's Creed mirage is a compact stealth focused adventure that punishes anyone trying to go in loud and does so in a world that is always a delight to explore and be chased through again you see a lot of uh the word stealth being thrown around you Go back to something like Assassin's Creed Origins, and yes, you can go in sneaky. You can use your silent arrows, your your stealth kills, um, but if you were to say, you know, go in loud um, or, you know, fail a stealth segment, you can, in the most part, uh, slice and dice your way through... Um, Whatever attention you bring yourself and and that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case with Assassin's Creed Mirage though it's hard to get a sense of how punishing the stealth is it just the word that keeps getting thrown around is stealth and and in fairness you're an assassin you're sneaky doesn't necessarily seem like you can just you know fuck up the stealth all willy nilly the way that you used to be able to do in some of the RPG Assassin's Creed's GameSpot giving it a 6 out of 10 saying Assassin's Creed Mirage's focus on social stealth and detective makes for a compelling dive into 9th century Baghdad. Again, these are just kind of clips and if you want to know more, please uh, look up your favorite reviews uh from your favorite review sources and then finally video games chronicles shout out to video games chronicles giving it a 4 out of 5 saying Assassin's Creed Mirage is a short sharp trip through the blood soaked streets of Baghdad a welcome return to the series roots Mirage is a breath of fresh air in the endless sea of open world adventure games so if you are perhaps thinking you know Red Dead Redemption 2 is too big of an open world game for me um, the horizon games are too big of an open world for me, you know, cyberpunk too big though. I would say it's ci- cyberpunk pretty small in scale compared to some of these other, you know, open world games that we've talked about horizon, you know, zero dawn, forbidden west, that sort of thing. If they seem too big and bold, perhaps getting your toe wet or going back to a simpler time, uh, with the Creed mirage is the way to go. Um, Just for clarification, I plan on playing Assassin's Creed Mirage, but I have decided that I'm going to actually hold out on playing Assassin's Creed Mirage for the time being. Looks like I'm going to be picking up that game sometime in November, December ish. My plan is to try out, and I don't know why I'm doing this. Well, I know why I'm doing this to myself, but long story short, my plan is to try to play both Assassin's Creed Mirage and that avatar game from ubisoft around the same time so if you're looking for my thoughts on assassin's creed mirage you're probably gonna have to wait until november whenever that ubisoft uh, avatar game comes out because i'm going to try to play both around the same time um let's get into news and then later on we'll talk cyberpunk and we'll talk my thoughts on forza motorsport this was a new story that i actually recorded i recorded the whole thing Uh, Last week, and then I cut it because doing a little bit of investigation, it didn't seem like there was a lot of confirmed uh, info to go on. It has been confirmed. And now I will just record this all over again. However, this time, um, the framing seems to be more focused around the employees involved and less the potential risk for consumer data. However, PlayStation confirms a data breach exposed 7,000 employees personal information. The company has been contacting those affected by the unauthorized access. So a report by uh, uh, as reported by bleeping computer, the PlayStation maker has been contacting those affected and letting them know what happened. According to Sony, the breach involved the move it file transfer program used by SIE employees, which is developed by a third party IT vendor called Progress Software. Progress announced on May 31st that it had discovered a vulnerability in MoveIt, but three days before this, a, quote, unauthorized actor had already used the vulnerability to download SIE files, accessing personal information for 6,791 current and former SIE employees based in the United States. Sony claims the incident was limited to this particular software program and had no impacts on other systems. Quote, On June 2nd, 2023, SIE discovered the unauthorized downloads, immediately took the platform offline and remediated the vulnerability. Sony says in a letter sent to the former employees whose data was accessed. Quote, an investigation was then launched with the assistance from external cybersecurity experts. We also notified law enforcement. Once SIE identified the downloaded files, we began a process to determine what types of personal information were affected and to whom it relates while we worked quickly. this was a time-consuming process and we wanted to provide you with accurate information. Sony is providing those with uh, uh, those affected with free credit monitoring and identity restoration services and asking them to keep an eye out for signs of identity theft or fraud. The data was reportedly accessed by CL0P, a ransom group that announced in late June that it had accessed Sony employee information. Now, this is um, where I kind of cut the news story because there's still not a lot of information to go off of, but last month, a separate ransomware group claimed to have successfully breached Sony group and was threatening to sell a cache of data stolen from the Japanese company. Sony said it was investigating the situation. Uh, A Sony spokesperson said at the time, quote, Sony has been investigating a recent public claim of uh, a security incident at Sony. We are working with third-party forensic experts and have identified activity on a single server located in Japan used for internal testing for entertainment technology businesses. Quote, Sony has taken the server offline while the investigation is ongoing. There is currently no indication that customer or business partner data was stored on the affected server or that any other Sony systems were affected. There have been no adverse impact on Sony operations. Now, this is what you need to know is that Sony, unfortunately, has a history of data breaches, software, um, you know, uh, hacking and things like that. Most notoriously, in 2011, Sony's PlayStation Network suffered a massive breach that resulted in the personal, uh, personal details of approximately 77 million accounts being compromised and the service being taken offline for 23 days. You might remember. Infamously 2011 saw the launch of Mortal Kombat 9 and SOCOM 4 around that same time meaning that those were two big online multiplayer games that you could not play for 23 days because of the breach. Sony initially estimated the hack Uh, Would cost it more than a hundred million dollars and that it was forced to apologize not only to players, but developers who games launches were disrupted uh, or those online services were left unavailable. Um, But that being that being said, you know, Sony did offer a make good. I think I got a free infamous game. I think I got like a free digital copy of fat princess um, for my my details being leaked online. Um, So, you know, there is that silver lining to this playbook uh being honest now uh, we're gonna take this stream down because this stream does not seem to be working at all like twitch stream seems completely fucked. but we're gonna keep going anyways none of this is my fault my internet is working just fine cyberpunk 2077 you know um we've talked a lot about cyberpunk And it seems like CD Projekt Red is doing a bit of a victory lap um, with the release of Phantom Liberty with the update uh, 2.0 and they're kind of sharing some sales numbers. Keep in mind that these sales numbers go as far back as 2020 when Cyberpunk originally came out, but they are sharing some details. Okay, so CD Projekt Red has announced that 25 million copies of the base game Have been sold with 3 million copies of the Phantom Liberty expansion being sold within the first week. This is huge because that's up from 18 million uh, sales uh, uh, reported by the company last April and 20 million sales reported in September. That means that that game sold 5 million copies in one month. It's a three-year-old game sold 5 million copies in one month month that is according to cyber uh cyberpunk developer uh cd project red that is phenomenal because the witcher 3 achieved a similar level in four and a half years and here in cyberpunk's case a little bit over two years i guess they're underselling the part where it's closer to three than it is to two but whatever um um so we are selling far faster than we were selling the witcher game so again the witcher took about four and a half years to sell as many copies as cyberpunk 2077. Um, it also sold about 8 million copies on the last generation of consoles, um, which is uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, and about 13 million, uh, on launch month in December. Um, to contextualize this, we estimated how many games now have the main, uh, how many gamers now have the main game on PC or new consoles, all platforms that allow you to play, and it's twenty million. Though there may be downplaying the part where it is about twenty-five, so anywhere from twenty to twenty-five million copies um, seems to be what is going on. That's huge. That's. Uh, That's huge. And also they're saying that 15% of all gamers that own Cyberpunk 2077 bought Phantom Liberty within the first week. So yeah, we're looking at about 20, 25 million copies of Cyberpunk 2077 being sold since launch a huge success story. And uh, you know, in fairness, like, listen, the game is not perfect. I could spend a lot of time Talking about what my problem is with, uh, with the game that being said, they have done the work. Like I think uh, a hot take here. I almost stopped myself from saying it. It almost killed me to say it, but whatever. It's not an ego thing. It's just, I can't believe I'm saying it. Cyberpunk 2077 is a good video game. I know that might sound blasphemous. That might sound crazy. I don't know what to tell you, but Cyberpunk 2077 is a good video game at this point in time. I know, right? Like we already knew that, um, you know, Cyberpunk 2077 was a financial success despite its rough launch. But to see it like have a huge launch, you know, again with the uh, release of the update and the release of the uh, expansion, it's a huge success story. I just hope that next time around this game doesn't t- need three years of additional development post-release to be good. That's all I really have to say about the financial success of Cyberpunk 2077. This is a fucking crazy news story. Um, Real hot. I don't even know where to begin. Former Ubisoft executives reportedly arrested over sexual misconduct allegations. Five people said to have been detained by police, including some of its most senior ex creatives. Um, According to Liberation, uh, three ex employees were placed in police custody on Tuesday, and another two were arrested on uh, Wednesday. So, between uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, Of this week. For context, this show is recorded on a Thursday. In case you forgot, among those detained are former chief creative officer Serge Hascoat. I'm going to butcher these names and I apologize. Sergey, no, that's Sergey. Hascoat, Hasco. Anyways, uh, who oversaw all of the company's games as head of its influential editorial team before resigning in July 2020. After a significant number of accusations were made against him. um, Considering the way Ubisoft is so slow to react to reports of mistreatment, abuse, and harassment. I imagine that when they say a significant number of accusations were made against him. It probably is in the like trillions. That's how Ubisoft tends to operate. Also taken into custody uh, was uh, Tommy Francois who was vice president of editorial and creative services prior to his departure in August of 2020, following accusations of sexual misconduct. These arrests follow complaints filed simultaneously in the summer of 2021 by the French trade union, Solidaires Informatique and two victims on their own behalf. Following complaints, uh, judicial police reportedly collected testimonies from around 50 current and former Ubisoft employees during a year long investigation in October, 2021, an anonymous survey of almost 14,000 Ubisoft employees found that 20% of respondents didn't feel quote, fully respected or safe in the work environment. And that 25% had witnessed or experienced workplace misconduct over the past two years. This study was conducted by a third-party research firm in the wake of the allegations of sexual harassment, sexism, and racism that summer. Aside from Hescott and Francois, I feel like I pronounce that guy's last name different every single time, other senior Ubisoft figures who stepped down or were fired in the wake of allegations include studio, uh, Canadian Studios' MD Yanis Mallet, a, uh, a global head of HR, uh, Cecile Cornett, veteran creative director Maxime Belland and Assassin's Creed Valhalla's creative director Ashraf Ishmael. I know I butchered all of these names, but listen. Like we talk about fucking bad shit happening at Ubisoft, like this is what we mean. Like th- like this is this is it. And I'm not saying that there, I have no idea five people, 10 people, 20 people, I don't know how many people are involved in this, you know, wave of, of sexual misconduct allegations and abuse and mistreatment. Um, but I will say this when it gets so rampant that it becomes mainstream news, it isn't just the people involved. It is a culture that has been fostered within the company, right? Um, if, if, you know, uh, Abuse of power corrupts and rots these companies to their very core. And I don't know how safe it is to work at Ubisoft these days, but even as of last couple of years, it seemed like a pretty bad place to work, especially as it relates to things like sexual misconduct. So... While, you know, it's, it's interesting, interesting to see the authorities get involved to the point where they are now arresting, you know, a handful of people. Um, it makes me wonder what else is going on at Ubisoft. If they have cleaned up their act, if they have let go, fired or forced these uh, abusers, these alleged abusers into, uh, you know, out of the company, right? It remains to be seen, but um, yes, five people said to have been detained by police, including some of its most senior ex creatives. Let's move on from that horrible story to talk about another horrible story. Um, If you remember, we talked about um, the good folks over at BioWare and a number of them being laid off. About 50 of those staff were made redundant in August. Now, those laid off employees are suing the studio for better severance pay. Um, seven of those impacted by layoffs who reportedly spent an average of 14 years at the company have now filed a statement of claim with Alberta's Court of Kings, branch, uh, Court of King's bench, arguing that they should have uh, been awarded better severance pay by the electronics Arts' own studio. So EA owns Bioware let go 50 people uh, Bioware is headquartered primarily in Alberta Canada and uh, seven of those people who spent an average of 14 years um, keep in mind that there are 50 people involved in this but seven of those are now uh, filing with Alberta's Court of Kings bench They say that in the most recent court cases of termination without cause, Alberta courts have awarded at least one month of severance pay per year of service with the full value of all benefits included. Uh, Now, keep in mind that they refused to accept uh, Bioware's relatively, quote, low offers. Uh, the, rep- the employees are requesting fair severance pay and including a request for punitive damages for what they say is unreasonably poor treatment, according to their legal representatives. Quote In the light of numerous recent industry layoffs and the fact that BioWare's NDAs prevent us from showing any of our recent work on Dragon Age Dreadwolf in our portfolios. We are very concerned about the difficulty many of us will have finding work as the holiday season approaches. So Dragon Age Dreadwolf is not out yet. Uh, Bioware employees sign a non-disclosure agreement saying that they can't talk about or show any of what they've been working on as relates to unreleased games. Which means that if, you know, the the good folks in in Alberta wanted to apply for other Canadian, uh, you know, developer studios, um, if they wanted to go work at uh, Ubisoft Montreal, if they wanted to work at uh, any of these other Canadian studios, uh, I shouldn't say Canadian companies, but like, can, you know, Canadian located studios, they wouldn't be able to show off what they've been working on. And Dragon Age Dreadwolf has been in development for so fucking long that their portfolio is rapidly becoming outdated, right? It's, they're going to say, what was the most recent game you worked on? Well, I worked on a game from like 2019. Oh, you guys haven't shipped the game in a while, huh? Well, what were you working on before, you know, after you shipped the game? Well, we can't talk about it because the game's not out yet. Quote, while we remain supportive of the game we worked so hard on and of our colleagues continuing that work, we are struggling to understand why Bioware is shortchanging us in this challenging time. Our uh, Our Alex Kennedy, counsel for the seven employees, commented saying, Bioware attempted to reduce its obligation to these employees well below what the courts typically award, including by eliminating benefits from its termination pay. That appears to be contrary to the employment standards code. Following layoffs, it was complained. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, following the layoffs, it was claimed that Bioware's uh, uh, new game, or upcoming game. I mean, it's not new. It's not even out yet. Uh, but it claimed that uh, Dragon Age: Dreadwolf's release. Uh, keeps getting pushed back internally. The game is reportedly planned to come out next summer at the earliest, but it may get moved to late twenty twenty four early twenty twenty five yeah I mean listen like that like w- when you hi- get hired or when you're in the the you know the process of applying for different studio jobs you know, you can't just write on a resume. Uh, you know, I, uh, worked on street fighter six. I, uh, I, I drew, uh, a flaming skull man for the mortal Kombat games. And I, uh, I, uh, designed a gun in call of duty. Like they're going to be like, show us your work, right? Show us the work. It's almost like you're, you know, you're, uh Annoying math teacher being like, I know that you know what seven divided by seven is, but can you show me uh, your work? Can you write down long division what seven divided by seven is? And then you look at your teacher and you're like, really, you want me to show you what seven divided by seven is? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, like it's one thing to get fucked by severance pay, especially if there's legal precedent for it. Listen, I'm not I'm not a legal expert. I am just a man of the people. And the people are saying that legal precedent shows that they should be uh, treated better by BioWare and by EA. And I say more power to them. Take them to the courts. And I hope they get everything that they're worth. 100%. Our online digital nightmare continues. Nintendo is shutting down online play for the Nintendo 3DS and the Wii U in April 2024 which means to me that we're probably going to see a new Nintendo Switch uh, or a Nintendo Switch 2, excuse me, around that time because typically companies don't keep online play for two different generations of past consoles running at the same time as their current one. Nobody keeps three generations of online console functionality going. So if they were to keep the old Switch going and the new Switch That makes sense compared to having the 3DS and the Wii U and the old Switch and the new Switch. Which means you cannot play online multiplayer. So you better, you know, get those uh, Mario Maker 1 levels in now, get them downloaded, get them played. The company already closed down the eShops for both systems in March, which means you couldn't buy digital games for those consoles anyways. But players have been able to continue using online services in games such as online multiplayer. However, as of April 24th, this functionality will be closed, meaning games will only be playable offline. The announcement will particularly impact games with a heavy emphasis on online original play, such as the original Splatoon on Wii U. Uh, Nintendo said... In early April 2024, online play and other functionality that uses online communication will end for Nintendo 3DS and Wii U software. This also includes online cooperative play, internet rankings, and data distribution. Nintendo says it will announce the specific end date and time of closure at a later date, but it notes that, quote, if any uh, event occurs that would make difficult to continue online services for Nintendo 3DS uh, and Wii U software. We may have to dis- uh, discontinue services earlier than planned. Which uh, which means a- April could mean J- you know January like it's I don't know. It seems weird that they would put a uh, and then an, an, like a, a like a kill date on it for April and then say yeah but it could be earlier. I don't know. Like, who the fuck is is running that stuff over at Nintendo? However, players will still be able to play games offline after online services end, and Nintendo notes that the Pokemon Bank will still retain its online functionality, presumably since it's still used by players and uses online connectivity as its central mechanic, which means that if it lost internet connectivity, it would be completely useless. Nintendo stresses that this only relates to in-game online functionality and that it'll still be possible to download update data and re-download purchased software and DLC from the 3DS and Wii U eShops for, quote, the foreseeable future. Um. Yeah. You know. We talk about this all the time. It doesn't come as a surprise. Xbox Live shutting down, Xbox Marketplace, the Xbox Live Marketplace shutting shut down, and all that stuff. It doesn't make going through this shit any easier, especially in cases where there are games where their entire design was around playing it online. And I understand that maybe 12 people are trying to play Splatoon, the original Splatoon, on their Wii U. That doesn't make the existence of that game any less valid and any more important to continue to update and maintain through a consistent connection with Nintendo's online infrastructure. So it's a shame to see this stuff go as always. Um, though, hopefully it, 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 you know, it happens in April. It doesn't happen any earlier. Uh, This is a quick one. Uh, Activision is continuing to threaten us with the existence of Call of Duty, saying that it has games planned out through 2027, with 3,000 developers currently working on the franchise. Now, Obviously, that could all change in an instant. Um, As soon as Microsoft takes over Activision. We have uh, Modern Warfare 3 coming out November 10th. And uh, reportedly, the next Call of Duty game after Modern Warfare 3 is Call of Duty Black Ops, which is set to be in the Gulf War, currently being developed by lead studio Treyarch. I don't know anything about the Gulf War, though most of what I know about war I've learned from video games. If there's two, listen. I've never claimed to be a particularly smart man. I've never complained. I never uh, 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 proclaimed myself to be much of a historian, uh, a scholar of of history of any type. But everything I know about war, I learned from video games and everything I know about cars. I've learned from video games. So I guess I'm going to learn about the Gulf War when presumably Black Ops comes out in 2024. That's all we really have to say, but again, my, my, my thought is that, uh, you know, Microsoft could significantly slow down the production of call of duty if they wanted to, when they buy Activision. Speaking of Activision, Blizzard, Diablo four is coming to steam this month. This is significant because this is the second, uh, blizzard game to appear on steam. If you remember Overwatch came out, Overwatch 2, I should say, came out on Steam earlier this year. Before that, you had to use Blizzard's proprietary software, Battle.net, to buy and download Blizzard games. In fact, it used to be the only place you could uh, play uh, games like Call of Duty on PC as well, though that recently changed. Um, Though, again, you know, it's a scenario where like Activision puts out some of its games on PC, but Blizzard uh, uh, put them out on PC on Steam. Blizzard never did that. Now we are seeing a change of heart where Blizzard is now putting their PC games on Steam as well. Now that also correlates with the release of Season 2. That is coming out um, in just, uh, just a little over a week. Almost two weeks. A week and a half, October 17th, for uh, Diablo 4 on Steam. I will not be rebuying it. I already own Diablo 4 on Battle.net. Though I've heard good things about what we can expect from Season 2 of Diablo 4. The problem is is that I'm still trying to get through uh, little bits of of Cyberpunk that I have left. Trying to get through um, more of uh, Starfield trying to level up my cars in forza motorsport so i don't know how much time i could dedicate to diablo 4 season 2 even if it was a banger but maybe the release of diablo 4 on steam will attract new players though i imagine it'll probably just lead to people review bombing the game because if you forgot i will remind you as of recent People have not been very happy with most of Blizzard's games. I don't even know. This feels like kicking a game while it's down. Remember Redfall? Redfall came out uh, earlier this year, and if you forgot, it was a four-player cooperative. uh, I almost said zombie. Um. Maybe I would have referred to it as a zombie game because it was pretty much dead on arrival. Uh, But uh, Redfall was the four-player co-op vampire first-person shooter game. Keywords being four-player co-op. On Steam, the game has now hit single-digit players every day for the past two weeks. At some point in time... There are so few people playing Redfall on Steam that you couldn't even play a four-player co-op game if you wanted to. Um, This is, of course, uh, being pulled from Steam Database. Single-figure player count. According to uh, Bethesda's head of publishing, Pete Hines, he said that the company's gonna keep working on the game until it's a good game. Will anyone be around to notice? Probably on Game Pass. I bet that if they put out, like, you know, Red Falls equivalent of a Cyberpunk 2.0 update or a Phantom Liberty expansion or something like that, like I bet on Game Pass it could probably heat up. But that's assuming. That there aren't a zillion other games to play in the meantime. But hey, if you bought the game, like, you know, if, if you're playing Redfall on Steam, that means you paid, you know, full price for the game or you you paid for the game. You didn't just get it on Game Pass because game, game Pass is not a part of Steam. So I don't know, man. Like, Fallout 76 did not see this low of a player count. Cyberpunk 2077 didn't see this low of a player count. Final Fantasy uh 14 online did not see this low of a player count before it was revived before. It was updated and made into the game that people are happy to play today. So I seriously wonder if they keep working on Redfall and if they eventually turn Redfall into a quote good game. I also used air quotes uh because I forgot this is a video podcast. Um will anyone notice? Will anyone care? It's going to be a tough sell even for me and I finished that goddamn game. I I'm probably one of the few people on this uh nightmare of a planet that played Redfall to completion. Though so I don't hope to return to the world of Redfall anytime soon. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk my uh probably not my last thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077, but we're getting pretty close to the end of uh My time with the game and of course, uh, my early impressions of Forza Motorsports. So stick around. We will be right back. Welcome back to Glitch Report. I have been playing Cyberpunk 2077. I feel like I'm gosh, 75% of the way there, two thirds of the way there. Like, I feel like I'm getting close to the end. I did kind of quickly look up a, um, a walkthrough to see how many, more missions i have but i feel like i'm getting pretty close to the end and i and i and i gotta say like even as i continue to play it um i i really enjoy the gameplay i really enjoy the stealth for the most part though stealth is not always my favorite aspect of some of these games um i enjoy upgrading my weapons and you know getting my cybernetic powers and i got these cool like robot you know uh, arms I can cut dudes or I can use a katana to you know to block bullets when enemies are shooting me like I the combat especially I really enjoy in that game the power fantasy that it gives you the the character progressions and leveling I really enjoy why as I continue to play through the game it continues to uh, be obvious to me that I don't particularly care for the story. The story is easily ignorable for the most part. Uh, So, you know, if you just wanted your cybernetic, if you just wanted to, you know, roam around the night city, if you just wanted to soak in that atmosphere, that vibe, and, you know, do a little bit of samurai, modern cybernetic samurai cutting and, you know, guns blazing, you know, slow motion bullet time, you know, blowing dudes up with shotguns, like, that game will, will hold up its end of the bargain. No worries. Um, And and as we talked about graphically, it'll look absolutely gorgeous doing so. But, you know, the more I listen to Keanu Reeves' performance in that game, the more it just seems so phoned in and just so lame. And, and it's only made worse by the fact that I think some of the worst dialogue in that game is uh, given to Johnny Silverhand that is Keanu Reeves' character. Um, There are some, like, you know, cool moments here and there, but for the most part, both as it relates to the main plot and the main characters, and as the side stories have, you know, kind of grown and and developed, I just don't care for a lot of the writing in that game. Like, there are a couple of characters that I don't mind. Um, I think Judy is an all right character. Um, she's kind of your, your hacker, you know, girl who, um, you know, is kind of, uh, is, you know, unsure about V as a character and, and V's motivations as, as kind of a criminal psychopath. Um, but, uh, you know, Judy seems like she's got a lot of heart, uh, to her and, and she seems all right. Um, Panem, uh, who has some weird issues with being. You know, she's got beef with her nomad tribe that live out in the desert, away from Night City. Um, But also, you know, seems to have some stuff going on. Um, She seems all right, but for the most part, like man, Keanu Reeves' character—it just—I don't care for him. I was gonna say he sucks. Like nothing about the writing and dialogue, like abjectly, is awful. It's just pretty bland, boring, and at times a tiny bit annoying um but for the most part fairly ignorable so if you are someone who really only wants to play these types of rpgs these type of action you know open world games for the story that's probably going to be the biggest letdown when it comes to cyberpunk as far as i'm concerned but if you want to drive crazy future cars and 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 cut up weird cybernetic dudes with a katana and then you know, slow down time and double jump and air dash and, you know, hack, you know, security cameras and hack turrets to attack its, you know, own uh, allies and all this crazy cool shit. That is what cyberpunk does. And that's my favorite part of cyberpunk. Let's uh let's move on to um, Forza Motorsport. Forza Motorsport has entered early access five days early that launched last night at 9 p.m pacific standard time and i've been playing a little bit of it i've not played a lot because there hasn't been uh you know a lot of time to play it and at some point i needed to go to sleep like record this podcast so i apologize if i am you know only three ish hours into the game but let's talk about what forza motorsport is i've talked a fair bit about forza horizon five on this podcast so let's take it all the way back for a moment forza was the original game forza motorsport was the original game in the forza series it wasn't until somewhat recently that um microsoft decided to split the you know the series in half and produce forza uh, horizon which has always been a Open world, you know, somewhat arcadey, you know, open world racing game. I said open world twice, but there's a lot of open world in these in these Forza games, uh, Forza Rising games specifically. Whereas Forza Motorsport has always been compared to a Gran Turismo contemporary, a more of a simulation style, closed track, serious racing game. Problem is is that there hasn't been a lot of Forza Motorsport games in some time, and it seems to me that the most popular entry in the Forza series top to bottom is the Horizon games. Now, I've put about 700 hours into Forza Horizon 4 and 5 combined. I've played a lot of Forza Horizon specifically, I haven't played a lot of Forza Motorsport, so I was very excited to see what a next-generation, you know, simulation, you know, closed track, serious-style, uh, racing game from some of the Forza Horizon team, uh, though it's primarily done by Playground Games, which is the Fable Studio, Uh, Turn 10, famously done most of the Forza Motorsport games. But the point is, is that like to me this all felt fresh and new going into it so so take what i'm about to say with with a grain of salt right i have not been playing the forza motorsport games uh for a very long time this is a brand new one so i know that there are new changes and new updates and and things like that to the game um, but to me all of it feels new so keep that in mind all right and when we talk about forza motorsport we're really comparing it to games like Gran Turismo, right? I would say even more like Gran Turismo than something like Formula One um, because there are multidisciplinary, uh, you know, cars to choose from in Forza Motorsport, but it does not offer the off-road racing, the rally racing, uh, the street racing uh, of something like Forza Horizon. This is really like, yo dog, you want to race in the Nurburgring? Uh, you want to go down to Laguna Seca? Yeah, we got that, okay? So, that is what, you know, Forza Motorsport has always been in comparison to the, you know, kind of the the wacky hijinks, you know, you know automobile uh, fucking fever dream that uh, Forza Horizon can be. Now, don't get me wrong. I say fever dream. I fucking love Forza Horizon. Forza Horizon 5, one of my favorite games of all time. You heard it here first. All time. Love Forza Horizon 5. Um, but more, Motorsport is a very different beast. And it is pretty obvious right from the jump that Forza Motorsport is a different beast. Um, it There's a tutorial. Takes about 45 minutes-ish to get started. And up front, they're like, listen. This is a game about getting those, you know, microsecond, nanosecond adjustments and improvements to perfect your turns and your 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 ability to take corners. And really, this is a game about beating your best lap time by the microsecond. And I'll be honest with you, coming from the world of Forza Horizon, I don't really care about microseconds, nanoseconds, you know, I don't really care what my last lap time was. All I really care about is finishing first, or at least that's what I thought. But the beautiful thing about Forza Motorsport is that it finds a way to make you a, a stickler for the rules of motorsport, the, the, the nanosecond, microsecond shaving of, of, of improvements. It manages to make you care about all that stuff. And one of the ways that it does that is by constantly reminding you during a race how you're doing, sometimes in a per corner basis. But in some cases, they will have, um, you know, certain sections of a track that they deem to be very important parts of a track. And they will specifically time you as you go through those sections. And they will reward you in car experience. We're gonna to get to the car leveling in a minute, but they will reward you based on your performance. So it'll constantly tell you, yo man, you just went through that, you know, plus one percent, you know, faster, you know, minus you know, 0.05 seconds uh slower and things like that. And for someone who doesn't care going in, their ability to constantly keep me in the loop of how I'm doing. On a per corner, per segment base of the track, I actually find to be really interesting because it's pretty obvious. Hey, I just did better. Hey, I didn't do so well. Now, in fairness, when you're racing through these tracks, you probably have a pretty good idea. Hey, you know what? This segment actually was way worse. I didn't brake at the right time. I didn't follow the driving line. I was too aggressive. I wasn't able to make this pass. This this motherfucker got in my way. And now I and now I'm, uh, you know, gone from first to last or whatever the case may be. So while it is obvious from a gameplay feeling, you know, perspective of how you're doing, the fact that that game keeps you pretty honest and, uh, and in the loop about how you're performing, I think, is a really empowering thing, especially if you go from something like Forza Horizon to motorsport. Motorsport isn't necessarily holding your hand when it comes to the way the cars feel or the fact that you have to worry about fuel intake, collision, penalties, um, you know your safety rating and things like that. But the fact that it'll say, hey, man, you did a really good job coming around this corner and you did better than you did last time. Good job. It makes it feel rewarding, and it makes it feel like I want to get better at using this car, but also, you know, mastering the Nürburgring, mastering Laguna Seca, and then things like that. So, from a from a serious driving perspective, they have managed to, uh, you know, whip me into shape uh, pretty quickly in terms of taking this seriously and caring about the seriousness of motorsport. That being said there is still fun to be had in the game from a creativity standpoint. So um, every time you effectively go around a corner or a segment of the track, you are earning car experience. Every car in the game has its own individual level, its own individual stats. And as you level up the car, you will unlock new brakes, new, you know, engine intakes new suspensions new you know drive shafts that you can apply to the car to upgrade it so not only does the game reward you um, by just driving your current car better than you did the last turn but also it rewards you by letting you build a car that will naturally be faster than the same version of that car you just drove so you kind of get like two levels of progression you feel better as a driver um, by just mastering the track but also you feel better because your car your you know, your level one Subaru is now a level three Subaru, and it is slightly faster than before. Now, one thing I want to stress, I-, I talked about it uh, to some extent when talking about um, the crew motor Fest. out of the gate. These cars feel good, right? In some cases, the upgrades that you're applying can feel a little slight, but over time, as you upgrade your car, it will start to feel uh more and more like a significant uh upgrade over what you had before. Whereas in the case of the crew motorfest, the cars felt like shit out of the gate and didn't necessarily incentivize me to want to continue to upgrade this car because it felt bad uh from the get go. Or some motorsport, the cars feel good out of the gate and start to feel even better as you continue to level them up so each car has its own upgrade uh path each car has its own leveling which means that if you drive you know what 2019 subaru for you know an hour you will have a significantly different Subaru, eh, maybe not significantly, but you'll have a, a a higher level Subaru that you can upgrade more to your heart's content than you did when you started. But it also means that your level four Lambo, your your Lamborghini Countach, which I've been you know driving a fair bit will still you'll still need to drive that car in order to level it up. So even though you're earning money and and currency for these races, they have segmented the upgrades to a per car basis. Meaning if you want to make this car better, you got to drive it. You can't not drive this car in order to improve it. In a way, it kind of feels like Call of Duty, where in Call of Duty, you would start with a basic ass. AK 47, but the more you shot dudes with that AK 47, you'd be able to, you know, adjust the color, you know, the color scheme of the, of the gun, or you could add a six scope or you can adjust the magazines or the, you know, the, the attachments, the stock, the barrel and all that stuff. As you leveled up, that very much seems to be kind of where the car RPG of Forza Motorsport uh, really gets into the nitty gritty to the point where you can't even, you can paint the car and you can, you know, download people's designs for, for paint schemes, but you cannot change the spoilers or just the body kits until you significantly leveled the car. So each car is meant to feel unique and like an investment, both from the perspective of, well, you're probably gonna need to buy these cars, but also from the perspective of, Hey, I've raced a lot of races with this car. Look at how much better this car is and potentially how much different this car looks from when it started. But let's talk buying and upgrading cars. So, like I said, you earn car currency as you level up your car. Each car has to exist within a certain, uh, you know, kind of performance uh, metrics so you have your c-class cars and your c-class cars can range anywhere from you know 400 to you know 400 power to 500 uh, to 599 something like that and then once you push you upgrade your car past the c-class and it becomes a b-class car and you can upgrade that car to be an a-class car and you can always bust those cars down in order to meet certain challenges and as part of the career mode. So your career mode might have something like, Hey, you're going to need a, a B class hot hatch. Um, you can either buy a car from us, you can rent it, uh, which means you won't earn as much money by driving it. I believe is how it works. Um, or you can, you know, race some other type of race until you earn enough money to buy this type of car. um, but again, the currency that you use to buy the cars and the currency that you use to upgrade the cars are two separate things. So you can end up with a lot of cars that are all level one cars um, and not be able to upgrade them until you actually race with them. But the racing is in the and The progression is persistent. So if I did a free race, if I decided I'm going to load up the Nürburgring and I'm going to do 23 laps of the Nürburgring and I upgrade that car. Uh, if, if that car is applicable to one of the, uh, career challenges, I'll be able to use that car, no sweat. Um, but it does mean that, you know, you might end up with a lot of money, um, and a lot of cars that you need to actually spend time with in order to qualify them for certain challenges and things like that. Uh, if we, if we talk about the challenges, a lot of the career mode is focused around you taking a car within the parameters that they require Um, and, and using that car over a handful of races and upgrading that car within, again, within the parameters of the challenge. Now, there aren't a lot of qualifying races that I've seen. Instead of qualifying races, you are doing practice. And again, you are rewarded for participating in practice just the way you are rewarded for actually doing the race. There are often challenges associated with the uh, practice. Practice might be things like, hey, can you beat a, a, a time of two minutes and eight seconds? And then the requirement for finishing the practice is just completing three laps. Now, there's a lot to consider when you step into the realm of practice. One of the things that you can consider when you are beginning a race or practice is how much fuel you put into the car prior to starting it. When they talk about things like shaving milliseconds and nanoseconds and microseconds and all this stuff off of it, they provide you with a lot of different tools to do that. One of the ways is by how much you fuel the car. So it'll say, hey, you fueled your car to 15%, you have 15% of your gas tank full, and that will allow you to do 3 out of the 4 laps that this race requires meaning you're going to have to pit at least once but by having a little less you know in the tank your car will be lighter it'll accelerate quicker it'll be a little bit faster and easier to handle and we anticipate that your best lap time could be 1 minute 8 seconds and 35 you know you know microseconds but if you were to, say, put a little more gas in the tank, requiring you to maybe not pit at all, you might have one minute, nine seconds as your potential best lap time. So it's a lot to consider as you enter the, the race is how much gas do you want to fill in the tank? Um, There's a lot of different customization from the difficulty standpoint of how smart and how fast the AI racers are, how serious the race is in terms of penalties and collision, tire wear and fuel intake. Um, But there's also how strict do you want the realistic or not realistic simulation of the racing to be. Um, if you adjust how fast the drivers are, that will uh, that will adjust how much money you get per race. If you adjust how um, you know uh, strict the rules are for the race, that will also address how much money you may or may not earn. And when you do a race, you can actually choose where on the starting grid you begin the race. And if you get a podium finish, you'll receive a bigger or smaller bonus depending on where on the grid you start. So if you start in 11th and you place first, you might not get as much money as if you started in 27th and placed third. There's kind of this risk reward uh, uh mentality to the game on top of that. So when we fundamentally break down what Forza Motorsport is, it is about customizing both the car and the racing experience. It is about driving these cars throughout these races and it's about leveling up the car and I'm gonna be honest with you I find that it all works pretty well the offerings in the game are pretty lean there's some multiplayer options there's your career mode there's not like a story mode or anything there's your you know custom single player races that you can adjust to your heart's content but that's it currently so I feel like the game Is quite strong and and the mechanics are pretty meaty enough to allow me to continue to want to race track after track after track. Sometimes repeating multiple tracks using the same car multiple times to achieve better and better results. But that's what this game is ultimately about. It's not like you are doing multidisciplinary races in something like forza horizon it's not like you're going off and finding you know collectibles in an environment Yeah, like yo dog you are racing laguna seca and you're going to race laguna seca until you don't want to do it anymore there's about 20 tracks in the game um, but some of them are alternative versions of the same track so you can have the nurberg ring you can have the full size of the nurberg ring you can have the lamans uh, race in a couple of different ways You can have different versions of Laguna Seca and, and, and things like that from, from what I remember. Um, but you are either doing the career race or you are just doing single player. You know, I want to pick this time of day. I want to pick this weather condition. I want to pick this track. I want to choose this many opponents. I want to pick this car and I just want to race and that's Forza Motorsport. And I really like it again. I think its commitment to making you care about the the little things that make these races um, important, like shaving a second off a corner, like improving a uh, a you know an intake or a turbo you know boost uh, module, or uh, improving your braking through upgrading your car. Like that stuff feels crucial to the game. It isn't just the part where you're doing, you know, serious racing for the sake of it. It feels rewarding at every step of the way. Um, When it comes to the graphics for the game, I think it looks pretty good. That being said, we are looking at the same old cars we've been looking at forever. So from a creative standpoint, there's nothing really to talk about. It's a car. It's a track. It's the, you know, it's... Yo, listen, we've had good-looking video game cars for a long time, and this is some of the best video game cars have ever looked, but at the end of the day, it's a Lamborghini, it's a Ford, it's a whatever, right? And they look the way they look. The most impressive thing from a graphical standpoint to me has been Uh, their time of day stuff has been their lighting and has been their weather conditions. Like, yo, that rain looks pretty fucking good. The, the lighting, the, the way that the sun rises, the sun sets the way that, you know, your headlights, um, react to the, the darkness of the track during a nighttime race, the way that, you know, overcast can turn to rain, but can clear up depending on the, the elements of the, the weather impacting the time of day and all that stuff, like it looks really nice. And that is some of the most impressive stuff that I've seen so far. uh, when it comes to the graphical stuff is those smaller things like the lighting like the particle effects um the way that your car sort of sort of chips and peels paint when you are you know rubbing uh other cars while racing like that stuff looks uh pretty nice but it is the smaller things that i feel like are the most impressive and biggest changes to what i've seen from forza motorsport in the past um I got the early access because I bought the Premium Edition and when you get it, you get a couple of different uh, bonuses. So I get a two times uh, money boost for every race that I do. If I do a race, I earn double whatever I earned because I bought the VIP uh, perk, which costs real money, which is part of the premium updates. I also get a bunch of cars at launch as part of their welcome pack. And I will also get additional cars um, uh, every week or so as they add these cars. Now, one thing I want to s- stress that compared to the Crew Motor Fester, compared to um, uh, Gran Turismo, you cannot spend real money on in-game currency. If you want to buy that Lamborghini that is part of the base game, You're just gonna have to race to earn the money. Yes, you can buy the VIP pack that will double your credits, but you can also just adjust the difficulty settings until you're earning plus 25% credits, plus 18% credits, plus 30% credits because you're racing against faster opponents or the rules are stricter and things like that. You can buy the car pass, which will add, which will give you additional cars as release them, but there is no way to spend real money on the content that is already included in the game. If you do not want to earn the credits to buy that McLaren in Gran Turismo on the PS5, you can just buy the money with real in uh, real money to unlock those cars if you'd like. That is not the case with Forza Motorsport. If there is a car that's already built into the base game, you're just going to have to race the, you know, race your cars to earn the money. Um, again, I got a bunch of cars as part of the welcome pack, um, and I'm going to get additional cars as part of their car pass. Um, so after about three hours, I have about 25 cars and that's a lot. It almost feels overwhelming, but To me, I'm far more interested in taking the cars that I've already been driving, my level nine Subaru, my level four Lambo, um, and continuing to race those and upgrade those. Like It's great that I have a Corvette, but it's a level one Corvette, and I'm going to have to continue to race in that car if I want to level it up. So for now, I'm finding that less is actually more in the context of cars as it relates to Forza Motorsport you know, earning the money to buy the car that you want is probably the the right way to go. And I'm glad that you can't spend uh, additional money to earn the credits besides buying the VIP pack. Uh, when you buy the welcome pack, it also gives you a bunch of money out of the gate. So I think I got like 500,000 credits, um, which I, spot, I bought like two cars, uh, like one I high, high ultra high end car and one like, you know, cheaper car as part of it. But again, like, It feels fairly balanced, even if you were to take off the multiplier, uh, your two X multiplier for credits, even if you were to, um, you know, not have the VIP pack, not have the welcome pack, things like that. Like it feels fairly balanced. And again, even after you've upgraded the car, it's a separate currency that you get by racing the car that you use to upgrade it. So it's not like you can just buy a car and then spend a bunch of that. Or you buy a cheap car and then spend the rest of your money upgrading it. Like you, you, you got to do the work. You got to put in the work. And I think that is one of my favorite things about Forza Motorsport is it rewards you for doing the work. And honestly, putting in the time to master that car, master those tracks has been a rewarding experience. I think that's going to do for the podcast. Yeah. Um, I got to look very quickly at what the remainder of, uh, October looks like for, um, game releases. I would like to buy that Mario wonder game. I don't know if I'm going to uh, get around to it or not, but, um, as we've already talked about, you know, um, uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage out now um the uh early access is happening now for um uh for uh, Forza Motorsport the full version of Forza Motorsport is out on October 10th um and then uh, what else we got kind of for the rest of the rest of the month Lords of the Fallen out October 13th Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 Turbocharged October 19th um, and then a bunch of other stuff and we'll take a look at that other stuff. Um, when we can, that is going to do it for the podcast. I have been nitwit. You can find everything that I do over at my Linktree, tree, linktree.com slash nitwit G N I T T W I T T Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. All that good stuff in one convenient location. We'll have more to say about um, Forza Motorsport next week. And I'll probably share my final thoughts on Cyberpunk. Then, thank you so much for listening, watching, and we'll see you next time. Take it easy.